Hey guys, what's up? It is week 185. I got some reviews for you, of course. But first, to let you know that we're still in Italian Horror Month. We did um, Luigi Casi should be up now, but uh, we recently just reco uh, recorded an Alberto Di Del Martino. Uh, we covered three movies, one of which I'll just talk briefly in this video. Um, Cho the Chosen, we also covered The Antichrist, and The Killer is on the Phone. So yeah, check that out at the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror uh, podcast on YouTube, on their website, or at Horophilia. For, um, Horophilia is going away, though, in the opening of uh, February, but um, 22 Shots will still be around. So make sure you check that out. We're going to start out the first review with the 1972 sci-fi movie, Silent Running. And I had heard about this movie for years. It had, had a really good reputation, um, was considered interesting, kind of groundbreaking for the time. It was directed by Douglas, uh, <coughs> Douglas, uh, Douglas, uh, is it Tr uh, Trumbell, who worked on 2001, A Space Odyssey, you know, the, the legendary movie. So, of course, you know, he did the special effects on that, so they gave him his own movie to work on. He really didn't direct that much, from my understanding. This, I think, was his directorial debut. So, anyways, this stars Bruce Dern, and Jesse Vint is in here, but really, it just stars Bruce Dern and some, some robots. But uh, there is a small supporting cast. Jesse Vint was actually in the movie Pigs, and a handful of other movies that I probably, I think I covered a couple of them, but Pigs is the one I remember him from as a sheriff. Um, Bruce Dern is a legendary uh, actor from The Cowboy, to the Burbs, to uh, the Tarantino stuff that just came out. He's in a million movies. He worked with Hitchcock, and I actually think that he claimed that he only worked with three brilliant or three genius directors, and one was uh, Trumbell. So that that means something. One of them was Hitchcock, of course, and I don't I, I want to say maybe the third one was Tarantino, but I'm not 100 percent sure on that deal. But uh, anyways, uh, Silent Running takes place in what uh, it, it's supposed to be the future, but I think it's like I I want to say it's some time that's already passed. It's usually how these things always work, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Anyways, it, uh, it it opens up with this really cool shot of like them in this garden, but it, it eventually zooms out in the opening and you see that they're on a spaceship. And uh, essentially what has happened in the future, the, there is no forest or there's not really an ecosystem on Earth. Everything is synthetic. We've destroyed all the forest on the planet and all that kind of stuff. And these are the last forest around. They've taken them and tried to create an ecosystem in space and these kind of biodomes. And Bruce Dern is basically what, uh, bio, like a botanist and stuff like that uh, the only guy that really knows what he's doing on the planet the other ones are kind of just there to I, I don't even know probably keep up on the ship and stuff they're kind of just like tech guys or you know almost like grease monkeys they're kind of don't really care about mother nature they're just there to do a job and they don't understand the importance of what they're doing so uh, Bruce Dern is very into his plants and he seems to be more friendly with the three uh, working robots on the ship than actually the humans uh, eventually what happens is they get a call that they're supposed to blow up all the forests and return back to Earth, uh, kind of like they've given up on this nature. But Bruce Dern, of course, doesn't like this because he understands the connection to nature and the importance of it. And um, also, you know, it doesn't really get into it that maybe possibly we're on a, you know, the Earth is kind of on its way out if we don't have, you know, any, you know, an ecosystem with, you know, plants you know, eating up the carbon dioxide and spitting out oxygen. So it, it is, a, you don't really know if it's kind of the end of times or not, or they figured out some way. But 
there is definitely a kind of a weird kind of importance um, that the government might have the the forest or something like that. I don't know if it is to save humanity or just in the other kind of way, just, uh, you know, Teddy Roosevelt. We love, you know, the nature and everything like that. So anyways, Bruce Dern kind of refuses and some really catastrophic kind of uh, insane things happen. And he ends up by himself on this ship with one of the forest uh, and um, uh, domes and the um, robots. Um, pretty quickly, he kind of uh, designates the robots' names, Huey, uh, Dewey, and unfortunately, one of them didn't make it, so that is a Louie. It's a really cool scene. But anyways, uh, it's just kind of him kind of surviving and talking to these, these robots isolated. The special effects are really cool. I like the domes, and it's definitely kind of a statement on nature and all that. And, and Bruce Dern's really solid in it. It's a lot to carry a movie by yourself, you know, and that's pretty much what he does here. Anyways, it's an interesting movie, and it opens up some questions, and it's kind of really kind of depressing and sad at the very ending, but I enjoyed it. I, I think it's, it's it's obviously kind of a staple in the sci-fi genre that I had not seen, and it's a nice connector piece between a lot of the big ones, you know, after 2001 and then stuff like that. We kind of are growing until we get to, you know, it, it, you know, Star Wars was a big one, but we have like kind of intellectual sci-fi movies for a long time, and this is definitely one of them in between. Um, so yeah, I was interested in it, and there's there's cool things that I had seen for the first time. I guess it would be in this one. So yeah, anyways, uh, highly recommended. The disc has some features on there. So uh, historian talks about the score. There's also a historian on there that talks about the uh, history of the script, which is really cool. And there's two commentaries on there: one a new one with Kim Newman and um, someone else, and the old one with the director Bruce Dern is also on there. There's an isolated musical uh, commentary, and the isolated musical commentary is of importance because the score is kind of uh, kind of uh, you know memorable Joan uh, Baez um, where I can't remember the big hit that she had that I remember but she does the score a couple of the songs on here and the other stuff it's kind of folky and everything uh, some people might you know dislike that kind of stuff but I've always kind of been a sucker for folky scores you know I've always loved the Chino song and uh, Soldier Blue and stuff like that so anyways I, I would uh, recommend checking this one out especially if you're into sci-fi movies I think it's kind of a must and I did enjoy myself with it that's silent running good movie interesting for sure Okay, this next one here is from Dark Sky Films, and this is Host. Not to be confused with the other 2020 movie came out called Host, that's on Shudder. This is a completely different thing. So, anyways, Host, I had not really heard much about, and just, I kind of like to go in a lot of the newer movies blind. So I was like, is this going to be kind of like a crazy, because it opens up with them, uh, somebody meeting somebody they know and talking to them, and they're invited to Thanksgiving dinner, or Christmas dinner. And I was like, oh, it's going to be a holiday thing. And just the, just a bare glimpse of it, I thought that it possibly was going to be um, we're having this dinner party and people are being tortured and trapped here. So I was like, okay. Um, I was kind of surprised at actually what it was. Um, and it was pretty cool. So this might be slight spoilers because I would suggest just going in kind of blind um, and saying everything about it first. I, I thought it was pretty well made for being on a budget. I thought there were some brutal moments that kind of shocked me. I thought the acting was solid. I thought the character development was pretty decent, although... Not every character does exactly what they I think they would do, but um, some of it, you know, plays into the plot a little bit. And I can forgive it because I was enjoying my time with it. Um, anyways, I thought it was pretty solid. But getting into slight spoilers. So anyways, what happens here is there's this couple talking and um, they're going to meet a family, a close family for Christmas dinner. And what happens is the the girlfriend says she saw some lights in the garden 
and um, she basically, the husband goes out or the boyfriend goes out to investigate and there's nothing. When he enters the house again, uh, his girlfriend is being uh, filled with this strange light and going crazy. And these two end up showing up to the um, Christmas house that, with the family and um, on the news they're basically mentioning lights everywhere and stuff like that. So, um, and fracking and right away you're like, okay. We know that something happened with the fracking. It's very kind of a setup that a lot of these movies have. You know, something was done to nature or the world or the planet and something happened that we shouldn't have had happen and it's kind of our fault so we must suffer for it. But anyways, these two enter the house and they are completely messed up. They have lights in their eyes. They're not acting normal and they start systematically kind of torturing and tying the family up and playing all these head games with them and making them kind of say all these deep and dark secrets and and basically trying to do other things but it's bigger than that and I like what actually is happening I thought was really cool actually had um, ideas before for a story me and my friend were writing and they kind of did it the same thing and they did it decently they did it on a small scale which I think is really cool and that story we wrote years and years ago, and it was just kind of a rip on demons anyways. But the idea here is kind of kind of similar in some ways, and I, and I like that. Um, the female kind of, uh, the villain here, she has this great line, and the camera doesn't break on her. It's kind of zooming in on her, and you see in her eyes, and she's just going on and on, get, delivering all this stuff, and her voice is almost monotone but evil, and she doesn't blink throughout the whole thing. And it's just a really great delivery and real creepy moment. I thought she was really, uh, she did a really good job. But uh, the movie is actually really cruel. There's a scene in the movie at the dinner table, which I thought was really well done, where they set it up and they do this reveal. And I was like, oh, now when this happens, it's going to be absolutely heartbreaking. And I expected the, the thing that I was talking about to happen within 20 to 30 minutes. No, they don't give you any time for that. They don't let it, it settle at all. Boom, right in your face. And I was like... That was the mean, most mean-spirited thing I saw so far this year. I can't believe it actually did that. But I kind of appreciate that they did do that because usually none of that stuff affects me. I'm like, it's whatever. But no, I was like, oh, that was rough. That was pretty rough. So there's some dramatic stuff with the family and everything that I enjoyed. Anyways, I thought it was a pretty good movie made on a budget. I thought that they, the acting was solid, the characters were good, and the two villains were, were really good, especially the female. She was just, she was, like I said, really good, strong performance on her part. The concept I enjoy as well, so give this one, just give this one a look. There's only one special feature on here. It's like a 50-minute making of, and it's kind of just behind the scenes, kind of throwing together stuff. And so if that sounds like it's up your alley, that one's called Host by Dark Sky Films, so check it out. Years ago, a father and his family lived in a big, bright house. Did you feel Cassie? Yeah, fine. Hmm? When's dinner, Mum? Ben Starving! Oh, bring down, love! Bring Dad. Did that to me all the time. I just like things the way they are. Don't you? And one day, the father decided to invite some guests inside. Ha <laughs> ha right on time. Come in, Lucy. Do you know how this story ends? <laughs> they destroy everything he loves. Shut up!
room on my bed. Okay, I'm going to be very brief with this one. This is The Chosen, a.k.a. Holocaust 2000, um, with Kurt Douglas. That's right. Um, yeah, this is an Alberto Del Martino film we watched for the Italian Horror Month. And, uh, yeah, he, he's a kind of a journeyman director, did a slew of movies, including two that I covered for 85, Miami, Miami Golem and Formula for Murder, both with David Warbeck. Yeah, both with mixed results, I would say. Um, but anyways, uh, Holocaust 2000, I really dug this one. It's an Omen ripoff. Uh, Kurt Douglas seals like he's going through a midlife crisis in this one. He's like, I'm still great. Hey, I'll be naked in this movie. I don't know if it was a body double, but anyways, he's running around naked on a beach and everything. And I'm like, that's kind of crazy they did that. And having these weird kind of premonition, end of the world, nuclear holocaust dreams mixed with all sorts of nightmare stuff. I, I thought that was really cool. But anyways, he is a developer um, and he's going to open up this nuclear power plant in this kind of third world area country. But um, he starts getting all these premonitions and hints that um, this nuclear uh, plant will be the end of the world and that his son will inherit it and, you know, basically ruin the earth. So everybody comes in contact with, he tells them this, they tell them he's crazy, and then eventually they find out the truth and try to warn him. But hey, like Omen's style, it's too late. And people can start getting picked off. And will the world end? Will Kurt Douglas save the day? Um, will he sleep with someone half his age? Yes, to the last answer. But anyways, uh, I enjoyed this one. It's Italian fun, good good gore the chop top scene is really cool and I, I the music i enjoy as well there's an alternative american ending which uh you know some people like it better i don't know anyways like the movie uh enjoyed it uh, omen ripoff and uh, you know at its finest good stuff good stuff see it comes evil nothing is safe nothing is sure i'm the heir of a man who must leave his post because of a severe nervous breakdown <laughs> Is he? Is it the madman? The mother? The son? The baby? The friend? Or is it him? Kirk Douglas, Simon Ward, Agostino Belli, Virginia McKenna, Anthony Quayle. The Chosen is coming. Okay, we have Maniac Cop 2 by William Lustig. And I was sitting there thinking, I was like, you know what? Everybody always talks about how great Maniac Cop 2 is. And I've seen Maniac a million times. I've seen Maniac Cop. And I know I had seen Maniac Cop 2 on television. And I just really couldn't remember. It was one of those ones that popped up on HBO. And I was like, okay, Maniac Cop 2. So I was like... I'm just going to put it in. It's just got a short run time. I know it'll be enjoyable. I, I like most of William Lustig's movies I've seen. So I put this in and it picks up. It opens up with the opening, the ending of Maniac Cop. Uh, Robert Dazar being plunged into the water by Bruce Campbell. And uh, I can't think of the other police officer's name who does it. So basically what happens is, you know, nobody believes that, no, nobody ever found Matt Cordell's body. And nobody, everybody, the police chief, Michael Lerner, or the commissioner's like, he's dead, forget about it. Robert Davia is a detective on the case 
who's working on some murders that are happening, of course, you know, it, it is the maniac cop is back and he's murdering people. And there's another string of murders going on about a, a guy who's strangling strippers. So he's involved with that case. And of course, um, in the opening fairly quick and Bruce Campbell and gets picked off. So uh, there's a police psychiatrist that gets involved that's been working with Davi a little bit and working with um, uh, Bruce Campbell's partner. So they're all intertwined in this thing, trying to figure out, uh, is it Matt Cordell? Is he dead? And, and if he is, how can we stop Matt Cordell? So essentially, uh, somehow the maniac cop ends up helping criminals. That's kind of what he's doing now to get back at the police and kills police officers and everything like that. So he ends up helping out Leo Rossi, who is this uh, serial killer who's strangling hookers. And he is absolutely ridiculous in there. He's just a big poof of hair, giant beard up to here. His hair comes down to here. He literally is just like this much eyes. He looks like the honeycomb guy, except he's kind of like a redneck version of a serial killer. So he's a real fun performance. Leo Rossi's always kind of intense, you know. So he's really fun in this. Um, and the action's insane. This is more of an action horror film, but there's these crazy car chases of somebody being handcuffed on the actual car that's going down the road. And I'm just like, how is this? How are they getting away with these stunts? Cars flying, people getting hit by cars. Um, tons of squibs. I love the squibs. There is a, a scene in here where the maniac cop invades a police station and it rivals the Terminator for sure. Um, there's a good solid supporting cast here too. Like I said, besides um, Robert Dazar plays maniac cop, we have Bruce Campbell, and then we have um, uh, Leo Rossi. Geez, uh, who else pops up in here? Uh, there's a couple familiar faces, Charles Napier, and then, uh, like I said, geez, Clarence Williams III, which I love seeing. Danny Trejo, tiny little role in here. But Clarence Williams the third is also really solid in here. It was great seeing him. But anyways, this movie all like boils over in the prison, Sing Sing, where Maniac Cop originally got attacked. And I think it's an improvement on the original. The original's fun and it's pretty solid, but this one uh, is just kind of, it's just even crazier. It ups the ante. There's more action. I like Robert Dobby. He's definitely like that tough cop that refuses, you know, to take psychiatric help or any of that stuff. And anyways, it's a very, very lustig movie too. It's very, you know, big city, sleazy stuff, bright lights. Um, gritty style action just great stuff there's lots of strip joint scenes which are always appreciated just to point out the sleaziness in these movies I've always enjoyed the sleazy stuff in the movies I'm just like yeah but anyways I dug this one um, I like the team up man and I know the original story was supposed to be Joe Spinell as that character and it's really damn sad that um, we didn't get to see Maniac and Maniac Cop team up and it kind of makes me sad but um, we got this this movie at least and it, it's pretty cool too so anyways there's some features on here the making of Mania Cop is like 46 minutes long. It's enjoyable. It has Lustig on there, Davi on there, uh, Robert Dazar, um, the lady who plays the lead in here from The Hidden. And I love that Lustig and her are both like, yeah, we really didn't have a good time on this. We didn't really get along. And they're both like, Lustig's like, I'm not going to go into it too much, but you know, it is what it is. And I, I just love his honesty without being a dick. Like, he's honest all the time, but he's not an asshole. Like, it's a very hard thing to do is be honest and come across as genuine. Like, and, and I mean, you you can always be an asshole and be genuine, but you know what I mean? Come across not a prick. It's not easy to do. And Lustig always manages to do it, and I love William Lustig and his movies. So, um, anyways, it's a really solid, fun movie, and uh, it's a nice little featurette on there, too. And, of course, they mentioned the Maniac uh, Cop rap song, of course, you know. Kill you with an Uzi in your jacuzzi. Yeah. <sighs> Whatever. Love it. 1990, right? You got to love those kind of rap songs at the end. But Mania Cup looks fantastic on Blu-ray. Sounds fantastic on Blu-ray. I think it's got a 7.1 mix or whatever. I don't know. It, it, it just really sounded great. And uh, lots of explosions and shootouts and little small roles of people that I enjoyed. A couple like people that pop up in Larry Cohen movies because Cohen obviously wrote 
this movie and the first Maniac Cop, and he's also involved with the special features, and I love Larry Cohen. Like, again, Larry Cohen and William Lustig, no bullshit kind of guys. I enjoy that, especially when it comes to features. Anyways, Maniac Cop 2, one of the great action horror movies of its time, so check it out for sure. Okay, this next one here, I was going on a Herbert Yao kick. I just rewatched The Untold Story, and I was like, you know what? I love Anthony Wong. I love Herbert Yao right now, so let's pop in Taxi Hunter. Um, I actually watched this online. This is a DVD of it. But uh, it stars the legendary Anthony Wong from, of course, Untold Story, Ebola Syndrome, Hard Boiled, classic actor, and it's directed by Herbert Yao. So I was expecting insanity, and it did really not disappoint. This is a really weird mixture of Taxi Driver, Reverse Taxi Driver, and Death Wish. So take and this made in like the 90s. So it's like what a it, it's like 20 years too late because we have this reverse taxi driver and then we have Death Wish mix. So Anthony Wong is kind of a mild mannered uh, guy. His like best friend is this kind of crazy, almost semi rogue cop. But uh, he has this, uh, you know, wife that he adores who's very late term pregnancy. And um, he goes to work and does his best every day. And in the beginning, uh, he gets an offender bender with a cab driver. And it's kind of obviously like a, a put on, like they pull in front of him, stop real quick, and he hits him just so they can get money out of him and weasel him. And this movie portrays cab drivers as just the scum of the earth, always being miserable to people, always trying to take advantage of them, always just being legit pieces of garbage. And I don't know if in Hong Kong there was a problem with taxi drivers or scam artists or something like that, but it would make you think and it's just weird it's just like why is this movie vilifying cab drivers are they really that awful in hong kong i don't know what's going on so any anyways um one night um and this is completely insane um so slight spoilers anthony wong girlfriend is super pregnant the car is in the shop because of a cab driver and um he calls a cab cab driver pulls up it's pouring rain he's bringing his pregnant wife down and somebody offers the cab driver an extra 50 to drive him somewhere so that guy leaves him he tries to get another cab driver to pull over he notices that his wife is bleeding from the or something wrong with the pregnancy and um he pulls off leaving them slamming the door but and i thought it was just going to be a kind of slam the door leave him in the rain and she ends up dying from miscarriage and anthony wong loses his shit but no it takes that extra step because it's a hong kong movie her dress gets closed in the door it drags her like three blocks down the road rolling around hitting everything and then of course she dies anthony wong is distraught becomes a drunk starts doing poorly at his job and he has one focal point to kill cab drivers and that's what anthony wong is gonna do so in typical anthony wong style he snaps he starts going around at night and and there's really funny moments where he gets in a cab and like if they're assholes like he originally like gets cheered on by a crowd because he slaps the cab driver in front of an audience like that he is arguing with some woman and everyone's booing him so he slaps the cab driver and everybody's like yeah and he's like so then basically it gives him the god so he just like loses his shit start killing cab drivers and like there's a couple that like one time he gets in the cab and he's like i want to go here and the guy's like okay and he's like you're not gonna get mad about that because it's like halfway across town and he's like no I, I gotta go where i gotta go and he's like you know what let me off here because he doesn't want to kill this guy but of course you know his his friend catches on to what he's doing and there's gonna be some turmoil between them two and will the murder of cab drivers cut in between their friendship you'll have to watch and find out in taxi hunter anyways enjoyable drama and the murders are pretty graphic almost cross into that horror category especially the one with the i think it was like a broken bottle and i was just like this is gnarly 
and especially the crash beforehand. Anyways, good movie. Love Anthony Wong. Love the direction style and good stuff. And of course, there's the comedy elements in here that he has typically. So anyways, yeah, Taxi Hunter, check it out. Okay, we got a couple quickies here. Um, what This one's from Netflix, and this is May the Devil Take You. This is the same director of The Night Comes For Us, which I absolutely adore. And I'm going to be brief with this one because I'm not going to lie. I just watched this and the sequel this week and another uh, Possession movie and The Antichrist and one last week in Day of the Lord and before that it was Cleansing Hour. So all these Possession movies are blurring my brain. They made it mush. But anyways, this is May the Devil Take You. It's, um, I can't think, is it an um, Indonesian movie? I believe so. Anyways, this director's got tons of talent. He has a super great style and he has a lot of violence in his uh, stuff. So anyways, this one opens up with a guy kind of selling his soul for riches and um, we see kind of like him do some anyways it's a really great scene where he he wishes for the money and like all this money swirls around and it goes into this weird it shows all these kind of rituals and stuff which i thought was really cool but anyways we fast forward and we have this daughter who basically gets a call. She has to show up to uh, her father is very sick and dying in the hospital. She obviously did not care for her father very much. They were not close. And her, um, you know, kind of step family is there, not the mother. That Basically, it's not her mother. It would be another, like, uh, remarried, and she does not get along with her. It's her kids, and some of them are related to her half-brother, half-sister, whatever. So they don't really get along. There's some turmoil there, um, and there's basically kind of like a cottage house that is the last thing in line because they all went bankrupt. So anyways, they have to go to this cottage house and look around and it turns out that um the father when he performed that ritual with this woman uh double crossed her and there is this woman in the basement and she is possessed and she wants to unleash them shit evil dead style so anyways what happens is the family has to kind of i don't want to say come together because they're sometimes at each other's throats anyways uh deal with this possession thing in the basement and fight it and a lot of times a lot of the movie takes place in the pouring rain outside some creepy moments people are turning turning evil there's like some um voodoo doll stuff going on anyways it has some genuine scares some like creepy stuff where like things will be crawling and then pop out or or things will like creep behind something they'll like come back and they'll be like in the background and their face is all distorted and stuff it really works effective um i mean it really is effective not really works effective dumb dumb but it is very effective uh, there were some moments where i was like oh and there's some gore i think this is the one where the face splits and i was like oh good stuff um anyways enjoyable crazy um very high energy stuff here may the devil take you check it out very good possession movie um recommended for sure Okay, the next one is a 2020 release, and it is on Shudder, and it is May the Devil Take You 2 by the same director, a direct sequel to this one made a couple of years later. I put this one in, and it's it's, it's like, uh, you know, kind of Evil Dead 2. It's just the same movie, but bigger, adds more characters in it. So I was super happy that it picked up where the last one left off, and it didn't introduce new characters and just do a different story that was almost the same rehash. We have the two surviving characters from the first one, um, the oldest, of course, the main character, and then the youngest sister. And basically, they get kidnapped by a group of orphans that are kind of older orphans now at this point. And it appears that they have the same problem, that someone had made a deal with this woman um, years back. I don't know how it fits in with the timeline because it would have been, she would have been locked in a base. I don't fucking know, okay? She should have been locked in a base. Maybe she wasn't. Maybe it happened before. Maybe it happened after. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. But um, anyways... The, their uh, stepfather or their orphan father basically had made a deal with um, this woman 
and um, they got revenge on him because he was a piece of garbage, and he has come back, and he's picking them off. They kind of enlist her because her story was in the news to try to help them fix the situation that she gets caught up in here. This one's bigger because we have like seven or eight characters within the house, and people are getting picked off. Unfortunately, I do kill some of the better characters off the bat, which kind of was unfortunate, but hey, that's how it goes sometimes. And there's some twists and turns, and it's just as violent and bigger and more crazy things going on. But this one was just a little bit better than the first one, very similar to the first first one um it's crazy like i said a lot of the stuff that actually is happening and the crazy mythology enjoyable as hell i don't have that much to say about it and i said it's just kind of very similar to the old one but just improvements and we have some bring back of some of the old characters in the first one i think the father comes back so yeah anyways i would check this one out if you're into possession movies which i'm typically not i think these are some of the better ones i've seen at least they're done a little different and they're more as as they are possession movies they go lean into the evil dead stuff more which i like that kind of possession movies more I like the demon stuff way better than just just a kind of typical I'm lying in a bed shaking possession movie. So, uh, yeah, check these out. Um, good stuff. Well, this Patreon pick is from Chris Rivers, and we might as well call this the Weekly Western. Let's go. Why not? Fill your hand, you son of a bitch! Say when. right this is 1995's uh dead man with johnny depp oh let me i'll get the cast later because it's super long but this is directed by jim jarmusch seen this years back and i i remember always enjoying it you know jim jarmusch did uh, a couple movies i've covered on here the dead don't die and he also did, did uh ghost dog which is a really cool movie and actually in my uh update this time around so yeah anyways uh dead man 1995 i'm a big fan of westerns and this is this this would probably surpass the revisionist western this is just like it's past that it's just like surreal crazy art revisionist western i'm not sure where it fits in but it's a little bit different for sure the cast is tremendous um and i'm not a huge johnny depp fan i will say that right off the bat but sometimes when johnny depp is good or johnny depp is interesting to me he's really good and this is one of the roles that i 
I really like him in. This Fear and Loathing, and there's a couple other ones, but I really love Johnny Depp in this movie. Um, so basically the plot is Johnny Depp is um, a guy from Cleveland, and his family died. He gets shipped out west to go to a place called Machine. Uh, horrible place to be, right? Can't help but think of the Pink Floyd song. But anyways, he gets shipped out here by train. And um, he's supposed to get this job as a clerk. There is no job for him within the first night. He meets, uh, he's broke and he meets a beautiful woman who he helps out. They end up sleeping together and somebody doesn't like that. And there's a double murder and he's blamed for it and he's on the run. And he meets up with this Native American character called Nobody. And they basically, he becomes a living legend outlaw like Billy the Kid. Um, the cast includes, besides Johnny Depp, we have the wonderful Gary Farmer who is in Ghost Dog and Demon Knight. Um, this is probably my favorite uh, Native American character in any movie, maybe besides uh, Chief Bromden from One Flew the Cuckoo's Nest. I adore nobody in this movie. He is absolutely hilarious. He is charming. He is um, just perfect. I, I love him, and he's got a great backstory. And he keeps call he thinks that uh, Johnny Depp's character is a the famous poet William Blake because they have the same name. So he's like, "That's right, William Blake." And I just love it. I love it. It's so funny. He keeps re reciting poetry to him. But besides that, we also have Crispin Glover. Um, Robert Mitchum as a crazy gun-toting uh, owner of this like machine shop. Um, John Hurt, Alfred Molina, Billy Bob Thornton, pretty much playing the same character he played from Tombstone. Um, Iggy Pop is in here. The, who else is in here? Gabrielle Byrne. The cast is just amazing. Lance Hendrickson as uh, basically uh, a bounty hunting cannibal crazy serial killer guy. And he's paired up with Michael Wincott who will not stop running his mouth constantly. And he's got this raspy voice and he's like, I remember one. And he just doesn't shut up and it's absolutely hilarious because Lance Hendrickson can't stand it and he never talks. Um, just a great movie, man. Uh, it's just got so many characters. Characters. Like when you watch a Jim Jarmusch movie, um, you can tell that he loves movies because when you see the cast, you're like, oh, he's just picking like classic actors, but also character actors and just throwing them in together and mixing them up and making them do weird shit. And it's just, I love it. I actually, I adore this kind of stuff. But the scene with uh, Billy Bob Thornton is so funny because him and Iggy Pop um, and uh, I think it's Jared Harris, they're sitting there around this campfire and there are these religious idiot guys and they're talking about like reading the Bible and they're like, what's a Philip? Stain. <laughs> it's just so good and they go through this whole thing and like and then like when that Johnny Depp rolls up to the fire you like they're planning on like raping him and like killing him and they just have no idea like that they're like he's a Philistine and it's like you guys are like technically the Philistines according to the Bible right like what, what's wrong with you like they have no idea what they're talking about and the same thing with Alfred Molina when he comes in contact with um, uh, nobody uh, just the way he acts towards him and stuff like that you can just tell that obviously the uh, disgust religious nature manifest destiny you know was just or, or just the way they thought back then a lot of those people and the, the way they like they just took religion and just completely disobeyed its rules by killing people and just doing all these horrible things and then not understanding that they were doing horrible things but uh, like I said there's lots of great moments between nobody and William Blake and I just love that stuff he's very funny and the movie's just kind of also just insane and metaphorical and um, there's a chance that, you know, that first shot hit Depp, it was over right there. I mean, he is dead man, you know, maybe it's his fate right off the bat, but just, just, 
just, I don't know, this is really enjoyable. It's black and white. It looks gorgeous. Um, and it's definitely like shows the messed up stuff right off the bat. Like on the train, all the guys run off to the side of the train and just are shooting, killing the buffalo. Reminds me of the scene from The Searchers when John Wayne just starts wasting the buffalo. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, because, you know, you kill all the buffalo, you eventually kill the Indians if you kill their food source. So just that. And then just the blankets with smallpox when he goes in there and he says, but we do have a blanket. He tries to give him a blanket right after he just told everybody all that stuff. Just lots of great moments. It's just a beautiful movie. I, I love I love Westerns, too. And I, I love all Westerns, you know, traditional anything pretty much anything as long as it's good doesn't doesn't bother me it's just a time i'm very fascinated with i think it's just something like you know i just i, I like it but uh anyways like i and i didn't even mention the soundtrack it, it just rips man like it's so good and haunting and it's bent dun, 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 bent dun. i just dude it comes on hard it has like guitar riffs just it's like for all intents like it's just I'm sorry for the. It's just badass. Like I know it's like the lamest term I can use, but it's just a badass sound. I know some people this isn't for everybody, but I just can't see somebody thinking this is an awful movie. I really can. I just think you're crazy. Like I mean, like yeah, maybe it's not for you, but it is crazy. Like sorry. I, I, or if somebody doesn't like it, let me know why you don't like it. Let me know why you like it. That's what I like to see. I'd rather have people tell me a movie I dislike and then say, no, you're wrong. Here's why it's great, and then I'm like, oh man, thank you. I might argue with you, but I want you to convince me at the end of the day. I want to like every movie, okay? Uh, I don't want to waste my time watching stuff I don't like, you know? It'd be nice to find value in everything. Uh, but anyways, Dead Man, great stuff. The Criterion Blue Larry looks fantastic. Um, Chris Rivers did a, a great pick, a movie I've always always liked. And I've only got to watch it the one time. But uh, there are some features on here, too. I did watch some of the interview with uh, Gary Farmer, who I always like, man. He's an underrated actor. Like, I've only seen him in a handful of stuff, but he's always kind of... I think he's always my favorite character. Like, I, you know, he's only in Ghost Off for three seconds, though. But, man, in Demon Knight, he's so fun. He kind of plays, like, the, a thick kind of dumb-dumb in that, but he's just lovable at the same time. He plays the deputy. Anyways, de Dead Man, great stuff. Deserves got nothing to do with it. When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Okay, here we go. We got um, uh, Survive 2005, and this is Greg McLean's Wolf Creek. And uh, that's right. I did watch the unrated version, and I have not watched Wolf Creek since 2005, 2006, when it got released in the States. So this movie was one that had a lot of hype and I watched it and I was like, it was all right. And you know, and you're like 18, you're like, man, this is like 30 minutes of walking around. This is boring. But I, you're, when you're 18, you're not, you're not the brightest person on earth. Okay. So, so I, so I put this movie in and there's like 30, 40 minutes of very much set up with these three characters kind of traveling across Australia. And it reminds me very much of a Texas Chainsaw Massacre, except they're just a little bit more, you know, annoying kind of deal. Like where they're, you know, they're, they're young and they're dumb and, and at first, you see him kind of mistreating some people. The the guy does, like the guy pumping the gas. He's like, ah, oh, trying to make fun of him and stuff. He's like, what an asshole, you know? And you see him partying. But it's a, it, when they kind of encounter a couple of these characters that are actually kind of like just scummy, like trashy guys, like this big guy with missing teeth and stuff like that, um, you can kind of tell like um, they're they're out of their element. And it, it turns into that kind of exploitation thing where it's like, you guys really shouldn't be here in a way, like kind of become scary in a sense. But uh, yeah. I um I ended up liking this one a lot more this time around. Uh, of course, they're they're kind of go out and they're traveling around, and there's definitely a relationship between the three of them and everything. And a couple of them have obviously like each other, two girls and a guy, and they decide to go to this place, Wolf Creek, and walk around. 
Um, after they're done walking around this big crater and everything like that, um, they come back and their car won't start. At night, this guy shows up, um, Mick, um, played by John Jarrett, kind of legendary Australian character actor, and uh, he offers to give him some help. He's a huge character. He's one of these kind of old kind of guys with everything he says is kind of a, you know, a, a metaphor, a cliche line or allegory or something like that, you know what I mean? And it's just very larger-than-life kind of character. Funny, kind of like when you're a kid and you meet one of your dad's friends that's a little too rowdy or something, maybe, like, <laughs> maybe he was, like, your dad's friend from 20 years ago and, like, they used to drink a lot together and your dad stopped and this guy didn't and he comes over drunk and he's just saying stupid weird shit and your dad's like you got you got to go home but uh that didn't happen to me or anything like that ever but <laughs> okay um yeah it didn't but anyways yeah something like that but he is entertaining as hell in it so they end up going back to him and it turns out that this guy is actually based on two real life serial killers ivan Millet and somebody else two cases that happened in australia of real crime and they have to fight for their lives um the cinematography is on point there's great wide beautiful shots um sometimes nowadays you'll watch a western and they won't have one great wide beautiful shot and we got this australian so-called torture porn you know uh brutal movie with these beautiful sprawling wide shots of landscape and setting suns and skies and everything like that so Oh, man, this is shot better than a lot of modern westerns, let's say that. And this is just a, you know, what most people consider an exploitation horror film. But, you know, it's a little bit more than that. So it's well acted, it's brutal, and it, it's just unsettling. So anyways, they're trying to survive. And there's these great moments before, you know, the shit hits the fan before they know they're in trouble. Where, of course, they're sitting around the fire and the guy, being kind of the dick he is, insulting, you know, people thinking he's better than them says this line about you know making a joke about the crocodile dundee thing you get to stay around and say this is a knife this is a knife and uh mick mick or um john jarrett just stops he's like 20 minutes and he's like staring it's not 20 but it's like a minute where he's just staring at him like and i, I just like it you know you can tell right there you figured he was probably going to kill him anyways or try to but then he was just like uh, that kind of justified it. You know, like you can tell. But anyways, I, I love him in this movie. He's terrifying, but also at the same time, he's memorable. And he says lines that stick with you. And the sequel, they Freddy Kruegered him up more. And I'm not going to lie. I know it's not as good as the original. It's not as solid. It's not as screwed up. But I really like the sex sequel. It's fun. It's fun. I know it shouldn't be fun because we just watched this brutal serial killer movie. But hey, whatever. It's a sequel. I enjoy myself. But anyways... What I liked about this one as it progressed is the two female leads. They they fight, man. They fight. Like, they do, like, two or three things, and I'm like, I would do this now. And they did it. I was like, I would sh I would just shoot him right here. And she shoots him. And it's like, I would beat... She beats him. And then I was like, man, like, these two, in any horror movie, really deserve to survive. But, you know, it's a horror movie, so... And it's mean, so maybe people won't survive. Anyways, enjoyed this one. Good stuff. Um, highly recommended for 2005. Obviously popular for a reason, but that is Wolf Creek. Hey guys, we're here for Blind Spot. The movie we're doing is your pick. We yes. pushed ahead Planet of the Vampires by Mario Bava from 1965. Um, next week, before I forget, is Sisters by Brian De Palma. I pushed that up. But okay, I had not seen Planet of the Vampires either. I had heard that it was uh, super... Uh, what? Um... What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. You Super influential okay. on stuff like Alien and a bunch of other movies. 
And it very much is. Um, Ridley Scott claimed he never saw this movie, but some people believe that most certainly at least Dan O'Bannon saw this movie and he wrote, you know, the original script for Alien and everything like that. So essentially this is, you know, an Italian film. Bava was pretty much like the first big kind of maestro that people took notice of or became like right now people consider him like the godfather of Italian horror, you know, above Fulci and above Argento, right in the top three with those two, I'd say. Maybe a lot of people consider him more in high regard, you know, with Black Sunday and Black Sabbath, all the kind of just being like the first guy. So, uh, Planet of the Vampires was made in 1965. AIP actually bought it, which is kind of cool, and changed the name to Planet of the Vampires, and it was a terror in space or something like that. But uh, it it it's just a group of kind of uh, astronauts, I guess. They're not even astronauts because they're not actually from Earth, I don't think. They end up landing, getting this distress signal from another planet. They end up there, and they land on there, and of course there's something on this planet that is hostile towards them, and it starts taking over their bodies, and they have to fight back and survive. It is pretty much gothic sci-fi, which is a weird combination. You wouldn't think gothic sci-fi, but I guess Alien is gothic sci-fi too when they get on the ship and stuff. Yeah, to to Just more, extent. I would say, um, industrial cold looking yeah. at Alien. This one has like the big fog and smoke and bright mm-hmm. colors and it's very Italian and very Bava but also very space 50s kind of style. It's a really weird mixture. Um, it's it's a pretty cool movie too. It, so. it, it does. Um, A lot of it reminds me of um, Alien. For, Forbidden Planet. <laughs> very much Forbidden Planet too because yeah. the destruction signal they show up. I mean I feel like after watching a lot of these sci-fi movies the one that comes down to being the one that started it all is probably Forbidden Planet right? Well, yeah, so far. I, I mean say. there might be one that we haven't seen or, or definitely literature. It probably comes all from literature but that's a very common thing mm-hmm. to get a story going is you know well, we hear a distress signal, because why else would you go to this abandoned, horrible place? Right. So it's a really good way to get there. So one of the ships actually had landed first, or they're, they're the ones who sent up the distress signal or something like that. Yeah, I think they... There's a signal been blaring through space for yeah. thousands and thousands of years, and one ship lands a little bit before them. Right, and then they go down. Yeah, and they um, lose communication right away with them, right before they land. Right, and then um, as they're going down, they all black out, and when they wake up, they're all kind of violent and mean towards Some each other. Some of them other. are, yeah. Um, Nobody knows why yeah. they have these feelings or anything like right. that. Right, and they snap out of it, um, and then it's like, okay what's going on on this planet and they go to the other spaceship and that's when they find it in a bloodbath it also reminds me of the thing because they have those two violent characters the norwegians Mm -hmm. um that are in the plane and they realize what the hell happened so they go to the place where they came from and it's like a it's a bloodbath it's weird they can't figure out what the hell happened and that's essentially here too but before they realize what the hell is going on they they need to get off this planet it's too late and we're going to spoil this so um the idea, like, before at one point, they, like, through the middle of the movie, like, I was expecting them to be, like, monsters or vampires or zombies or something, but they're really, like, space entities that enter your body and take it over and use you as a host, and they need to escape this planet because their sun is burnt out and there's no real anything there for them, and they don't have physical form to right. move themselves, so they need to inhabit other people. Yeah, they say that they exist on, like, a different plane of existence, and the only way that they can kind of like manipulate the world around them because when they land on the planet it's all wilderness um it's actually i think some scenes are done with like an aquarium oh no doubt that's baba for sure um and so they said like yeah in order for us to manipulate our surroundings we have to 
kind of like possess a host and we can either do it with you willingly or when you're unconscious so you either have to accept that alien into you or you need to they, they can get you when you're well, sleeping that's so a lot such of, a 1956 invasion of the body oh, Snatchers yeah. story which was based off the puppet master story before that right now or they're made around the same time mm -hmm. so again we go back to invasion of the body snatchers being one of the most original damn things that ever was made oh yeah absolutely that's that's a perfect movie now once you think about it how mm -hmm. influential so yeah um, you know, th this one's different when you compare it to um, Forbidden Planet in the sense that in Forbidden Planet, he's trying to keep them there from leaving because yeah. he doesn't want the the secrets exposed to the to everyone else. This one is like the aliens, th they need like the crew's permission to possess them or, you know, kill yeah. them and possess them. So they steal their meteor detect like deflector. So they can't leave, and it's like, okay, we're going to keep this until you agree to let us go, and then, because the aliens want to get off the planet yeah. versus the opposite of... But know, it turns into a big there. action thing, too, because people mm -hmm. are, there's like 18 people, these guys, yeah. and they start getting picked off and everything like that, um, and some of them are pretty decent, solid characters. At one point, I was sitting there watching, I was like, eh, guy looks like Ivan Rasimov, and then I was listening to the commentary, and Tim Lucas is like, if you've noticed, that's Ivan Rasimov, I was like... <laughs> I was like, that's actually Ivan Rasmus. I was like, I didn't expect it, you know, because it's 65. I didn't really think to see him that early. I knew he was mm -hmm. in a bunch of the Giallo uh, by Martino and stuff like that. And he popped up in so many movies. And I was just like, I guess it makes sense that he would start with Baba like half the other guys did. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I, you know, I actually liked a lot of the characters. I liked the main guy, even though he wasn't very happy on set, it appears. Yeah, um, yeah. And Baba wasn't very happy that they gave him like a fifty-year-old lead or sixty-year-old lead <laughs> or something like that. Um, but I mean, he he was fine. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted these guys to get out of here. It was kind of scary. Yeah, really. And when those two ghoul guys come back, and like, there's two missing from the original uh, spaceship they go to. There's two they can't find. They're like, we got seven bodies. Where are the other two? They eventually show up, and they're like all messed up looking and they're clearly fucking dead they're clearly like possessed already and they don't know this that's happening yet because they like rise some of them have rise, risen from the dead but no one can prove it the body's just mm -hmm. disappeared so like these two guys show up and they're like like yeah we're fine we got separated and then they're like no but then pretty soon they find them like in like the control room stealing and breaking right. <laughs> and they just look like ghouls like straight up ghouls um, um there is a a fantastic scene where um and this is probably like a direct Probably like I think the most noticeable thing that Alien borrowed from. Oh, when they find the the alien life yeah. forms before them, that um, is straight Alien. Yeah, and, and um, towards like the beginning of the movie, the 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 lead character, he's like the space captain. He, you know, he's making a captain's log and he's talking about how he's afraid. Um, he can't let his crew know. You know, just just that kind of stuff. He gets interrupted, and you know, end scene, scene changes, and like maybe like halfway through the movie. Um, they're out exploring and they come across an alien spaceship that's, you know, driven into the sand. If you see like a giant alien Yeah, and port. it's awesome in the way it's laid up and everything. Right. That was an amazing scene. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the other amazing scene was when he logged, when he was doing the log. When the captain was logging everything and saying the story and everything. Yeah. That was very Lovecraftian to me. That always is a Lovecraftian thing too. And that, that's the scene from The Thing. Um, no one trusts anyone anymore. You right. know, and when Kurt Russell does the thing, it's just so weird to see like 
all these bits and pieces, your favorite parts of your favorite movies, and right. like see them in other stuff. It, it's always kind of fun. It's just charming. It's just fun. Right. And that's why you always got to watch old films too, or older films. Better yeah. yourself on there. And there's just so many blind spots I have. Yeah, I mean, it, well, it, you know, they do go into the um, into the alien spaceship, and you know, there there is a similar layout of like one of the corpses on on a table, and they hit it, and there's like a recording of like the alien language, and you don't know what it says, but you only know what it says, that it's his log, and him probably, this alien saying the same thing that the main character said earlier in the movie, yeah. and it's just, like, fantastic. Like, they were in the same situation, yeah. you know, maybe, you know, they're trying to warn them, you know, and, it, you know, they have to get out. I mean, like, that whole scene of them trying to get out, like, using, like, the tuning fork that never played a part in anything else that was just a weird the thing is like scene. there's something absolutely terrifying about knowing that when you realize you're screwed and you have to get out and you know what's going on kind of you just know you have to get out and there's no way you can get out like you see you're like it's just like impending doom like watching mm -hmm. it happen like just watching you you know because you can't do anything about it um I don't know. I, I think it's a pretty great movie. I, it was very enjoyable. The twist at the end kind of was obvious. Not somewhat. Not not. Uh, it's not a twist, but you knew kind of that was going to happen. Yeah, they they didn't really hide it. I think. Boy, I mean, you're like well. it's only can be two ways. You're like eh. right. Well, like if it was over, it was over. But they continue right. the story, so you're like, why are they continuing? Like, why, oh, yeah. why is this still going on? Oh, okay. But um, I like it. I think it's pretty cool. Uh, very very influential. Um, three years before Night of the Living Dead, too. Really? Yeah. So I mean, they're not necessarily zombies, but they kind of are. It's like a body snatchers. It's like it's got yeah. body snatchers in there, and it's got Forbidden World in there. And then it inspired Alien and the thing. So, man, this is a good, again, a good, like, setting piece. Like, you could tell mm -hmm. Bob was like, I love these classics. I'm going to be that, I'm going to be, like, that setting stone where, like, it's not the classics, even though a lot of people borrowed from those classics for years, and they still do. But I'm going to kind of do some different things. And then later on down the line, like, I guess, like, big, huge directors with huge budgets are going to take that stuff and just elevate it to these levels of, like, classics. And then... 90% of the population is going to forget that I did it first. Right. <laughs> or, But even though he was inspired by other stuff, so I don't think he'd be that mad. I don't think he would be like, ah, like, I feel like Dario and a, Dario or Fulci would be like, they stole from me. And it's like, yeah, but you, Fulci, you, you need stole an enigma. <laughs> stop. It's like, but you just stole from that guy. Right. You're all stealing from each other. Everybody steals from everybody. So, um, you know, I think that this one was based off a book. I'm, I'm not certain. Um, yeah, there was a story in here. I feel like that there. In As the, the thing is, too, who goes there? Right. So. Um, you know, like, the title of the movie is kind of, like, misleading. Like, they're not vampires. They're not really zombies in a but, in a way. But, like I said, vampires was such a, a generic term. Right. And a vampire can be... There's so many different vampires, and nobody complains that, you know, like I said, with the zombie genre, if you're slightly veer from a Romero zombie, that's not a zombie. Right. That's a, a spiritual uh, shell monster that sucks the life force. It's just like, it's a fucking zombie. I mean, um, these, these are like... These are psychic vampires. They... they take your yeah, body over I they're mean, they dead control you they like, anything they, dead that's not that it's on dead right back in the day before zombies was a vampire well you know you don't have to necessarily be dead for them to control you they can get into you when you're sleeping yeah. or um if you agree um to... also but they, they always have the themes with vampires where you don't have to be alive or dead right like sometimes they consider a vampire alive and he's a van they're a vampire right. or they can be dead and vampire well and then know? there's the whole idea of like inviting a vampire in yeah. like i said they don't you don't have to be dead. inviting it in your body yeah right um 
but you know, but they're kind of like a, it's almost a possession movie yeah. in a way i would say it's also interesting to point out that even as far back as i am legend by richard mm-hmm. Matheson, they had the difference between the two vampires where right. there was the old vampires that were dead and he staked that one and it blew into dust right, right. and then later on the other vampires wouldn't because they were done by some sort of infection i think now you know I am legend. They were all considered vampires, but by today's standards, they would be yeah. They would be in the movie Omega Man are mutants, but this is different. But in that movie and the book, the novella, they'd be like, "Oh, technically, that's an infected. That's not really a vampire." So you see how stupid all this shit sounds when Mm -hmm. you argue these. It's just like whatever. It's whatever. It's whatever. I mean, you know, we're we're you know thousands of years you know removed from all the different myths yeah i mean so you're going to have theme and variation with any everything kind of generic term like vampire or witch or ghost or whatever or zombie Zombie, at this point um so i don't i think it's a pretty good movie i do we read these reviews first before we give our ratings um usually okay so john stanley's creature features um here we go Planet of the Vampires, 1965, 3 out of 5. Italian space opera originally made as the Dream Planet, directed by Mario Bava, combines elements of supernatural with sci-fi. When rocket jockey Barry Sullivan investigates the planet Aurora, he to discover inhabitants are disembodied spirits. Aurora resembles a Transylvanian more, more than a foreign world, a.k.a. Planet of the Blood, Haunted Planet, Planet of Terror, Terror in Space, The Outlaw Planet, Space Mutants, and the Planet of the Damned. HBO Orion, Laser Image. Um, with queen of blood so it looks like they put queen of blood and which is on your list and planet of the vampires on the same laser disc so that's very cool because we're going to do that one too yeah queen of blood i think is more towards the end of this show if i'm not mistaken we should just do it next week just to put them together (laughs) no it'd be fun um let's see this is james o'neill tear on tape yeah planet of the vampires um 52 65 he gives it three out of four stars more appropriate i would say bob Baba revolutionized the European sci-fi film with this atmospheric chiller, which has all the usual gothic mood, but just happens to take place in outer space. Two spaceships land on an alien world where they discover a derelict ship containing the skeletons of a bizarre alien race, and crewmen are possessed by dismembered bodied, or by disembodied beings after death and transformed into vampires. Baba directs this slight tale with assurance, pools of brilliant red blood and blue lights and lots of rolling fog covering the obvious limited sets and often tacky effects work. One of the secondary inspirations behind Alien, this was originally called Terra Nello Spazio, Terror in Space, and is shown on TV as the Demon Planet. Um, I'm going to have to go with more in line with that, which would be a 75%. I'm going to go 4 out of 5 or 8 out of 10 for planet of the vampires just on sheer originality alone and i really want to go back and hype like not um and and change my um review on forbidden world i mean that's a four out of five too probably higher i mean that's like the mac daddy beginning of sci-fi what did did i give it you gave it i think you gave it a five i just i rated i rated it lower than i should have that was very stupid of me i i thought it was a five um this one or forbidden um planet world yeah forbidden yeah I give it higher. Forbidden Planet was yeah. a was yeah. a five. Um, this Forbidden one Planet. I would probably give it uh, maybe like a three and a half. Okay. Um, it's it's good. It's I don't know. Like when I looked at the other Baba movie that we watched, Black uh, Sunday. Black Sunday. I thought that one was fantastic. This one was fine. Black Sunday's better. Um, Black Sunday is leaps and bounds better. Um, it's good. It's entertaining. It's I think a bit slow. Um. And, 
you really don't know what's going on. It doesn't really give you that what's happening and like way too late in the movie. So I'd say like for the first like half or three quarters of the movie, you're really just kind of like bumbling around blind. Um, and without like having that like clear direction to follow, it, I think it can be kind of hard to keep track of everything until they come clean as to what's going on with these aliens and what they're trying to do. I still really like it. It's I understand, still good. but uh, yeah. yeah. Anyways, I, I don't want to mix that up. Uh, Forbidden Planet is the one we were talking about, not yes. Forbidden World. Forbidden I'm World sorry. is coming the, up. It's the New World Pictures one. Yes. Okay, so I'm out of here. You do it on this one. Um, I'll, I'll stay if you'll have me. We're out. All right. <laughs> okay, let's get into these questions. <clears throat> ah. Nick Mua. Some horror directors like Wes Craven, Music the Heart, and David Cronenberg, A History of Violence, ventured outside the realm of horror with various results. Do you feel they were selling out that when their non-horror films failed, it's just it was just desserts? Absolutely not. I think that if you're a director, a lot of these guys never, ever wanted to be horror directors. George Romero didn't want to make horror movies his entire life. These guys got typecasted, and then when they got the chance to make something else, they branched out. Especially Cronenberg's horror movies. A lot of his movies were never straight up horror. They always flirted the line a lot when he later, you know, like Naked Lunch. It's like horror, but is it? And it is not. It's kind of like it's a little bit of both. So it's a horror movie, but it's not. And a lot of his movies flirt that line. Um, and it's, I feel like it's sad when, because a lot of these, the best directors that make horror movies, the best horror movies sometimes are only made by guys that did one horror movie. You know what I mean? So it's not like these guys, all they wanted to do was make horror movies. Um, so. No, and I would never wish ill on a director that made a few movies I liked. Like I said, I'd rather make make all good movies. You often review anthology films. Why do you think that usually only one or two films out of the whole bunch are actually good? I think because a lot of times it's a bunch of different directors, so some speak to you. Nowadays, a lot of anthology films are like like five different directors. So like if they have different styles and different you know budgets and different everything quality, you're not gonna like everything. That's why I think. But if it's made all by the same guy, or and you like you're more like to like the whole you're more likely to like the whole package or not the whole package. So it makes a difference. It depends all on the anthology. But there's many reasons why one would suck and one would not. Um, who is your favorite female director? That is tough because there is a lot of movies directed by females I enjoy. But the thing is, like, there is not, like, one female director that's done, like, a dozen or, like, six horror movies that I adore. Like, um, you know, uh, um, Karen Kusama, she did The Invitation, which was my favorite movie that came out that year. And I never got to see Jennifer's Body. She also did Destroyer, which isn't really a horror movie, which I really enjoyed. Or somebody like Mary Lambert, who did Pet Cemetery 1 and 2, I really liked. But... It's just the thing is, I feel like a lot of female directors don't get to direct like 20, 10, or 15 horror movies, five horror movies even, to get me to be like a hardcore fan. There is female horror directors out there that did one or two movies, which I love, but there's not one like big one that did like 10 movies or something like that. I know there's some exploitation directors out there, like the lady who did um, Velvet Vampire and stuff like that. But um, I mean, Karen Kusama, I love, love Invitation. I think that's a fantastic movie. I think it's a, a, tr- a a masterpiece for what it was you know for i'm not even for what it was i think it was the best movie that came out the year for me but yeah and then bad brains whore hey dave awesome update i really enjoy blind spot and jeremy is really entertaining we could definitely use arrow vinegar syndrome level treatment for uh de la morte de la More. are you picking up fade to black keep up the good stuff great stuff yeah i do the um last time i did the six month package for vinegar syndrome this time i'm going to do the yearly package because you save more money that way so i'll be picking up everything they put out um R.L. Newton, hey, where did you watch Occult? I've been wanting to watch it. Unfortunately, I don't think Occult's ever got a release here because when it does, I will buy it, but it is on YouTube. So there you go. 
Um, answers. Nick Mua. Basically, I ask who, which director had, a horror director had the best horror run. So we have uh, an answer you could see coming, but I feel Mr. John Carpenter had the best run when, uh, that's Nick Mua, when it comes to horror movies. I know loads of folks argue that with its 90s, it was a downfall for Carpenter, but I disagree. I've always enjoyed Village of the Dam, Vampires, and In the Mouth of Madness. Of course, there's a some there's sort of a goofy yet creepy fun element about Ghost of Mars. The word might be Carpenter at its worst, but it's still a hell of a lot better than so-called directors at their best. Ken Coakley. My opinion is that Romero and Carpenter had strings of great movies. Romero started in 1968 with Night Dead, hit a couple snags, then came up with The Crazies and had a great... Can't turn this page at all. <laughs> but there we go. Um, stuff uh, up to monkey shines. Carpenter had a nice string from Assault on Precinct 13 to They Live. But as the Italian cinema junkie, I have to put up Argento and Fulci. Argento started with a bang with Bird with the Crystal Plumage, Cat Nine Tails, Four Flies and Grey Velvet, Deep Red, Suspiria, The European Cut of Dawn of the Dead, Inferno, Tenembrae, Phenomenon, Opera, and he produced Demons 1 and 2. Fulci didn't have a long string of success as much as he had a small string of classics like Zombie, The Gates of Hell, The Hospital Cemetery, The Beyond, Manhattan Baby, New York Ripper. I would say that Romero also put out Season of the Witch after Night of Living Dead, and, and that was a good one. But also, I would say that um, people always go by years, but some guys only direct one movie every 10 years, while Fulci directed like 10 movies in like a five year period. I think his Manhattan Baby hit, that was a turd. But before that, and up until like when, like Wizard and a Woman's Skin, like all his horror movies from then, or even up until that were great. And I never saw Provision Story, but I imagine that's pretty decent too. So, like, Fulci's streak is a lot longer than people give credit for if we're only counting horror movies. So, Jenny Murray, I gotta say, I feel like John Carpenter really hasn't had many misses overall, especially for how much he has done, although everyone has a different of opinion, but he'd, he'd have to be up there. Also, for me, Cronenberg. Mark Patridge, yeah, Cronenberg. Zach Puccinelli, Carpenter by far. Uh, Andre Raz, James Wan, Dario Argento. David Luton, Dario Argento, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, up to Opera. Didn't put a foot a foot wrong. A brilliant short run would be Fulci's phenomenal creative splurge from 79 up until New York Ripper 82. Sam uh, Edwards, Argento, and there's a big argument between Zach and Sam about Argento and Carpenter and Rye Guy get in there and it just goes back and forth for days. Um, Duncan Malish um, from a little podcast Under the Stairs, check it out, great show. Cronenberg, Shivers to Naked Lunch, 91, so at 75, 91. Understand that some folks don't consider Naked Lunch a horror title, though. Derek does, though. Um, Rye Guy, Carpenter by a long shot. Uh, also, Wes Craven could be included as well, depending on some look at it. I, I think Wes Craven is the hit and back and forth guy all day. Good, bad, good, bad, okay, bad, good. Um, Mark uh, Partridge, I just say Suspiria. Um, David Gibson, Carpenter, without a doubt in my mind. He also created two of the greatest horror films made in that run. Mark Humphreys, Carpenter, definitely, and Dario Argento, 70 to 1982. After that, he started to get a bit hit and miss, and then all misses. Graham Garfield Bernard, Roger Corman, directed about 50 horror films from 1955 and 1990. Some may not be very good, but they all made their money back. That is, they did. Um, King Crow's probably up for debate as to what accounts as horror, but David Lynch, distress between Eraserhead to Inland Empire. So, Eraserhead, Blue Velvet, Twin Peaks, Fire Come Walk With Me, Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive, Inland Empire. So, I've only seen a handful. I, I Actually, I haven't seen Lost Highway or Inland Empire. But I'd have a hard time putting Blue Velvet as a horror movie. I really would. Um, the rest, um, 
I, uh, Mulholland Drive has moments. Twin Peaks has moments. Racerhead, most definitely a horror movie. Um, Jason Harlow, James Wan is the only correct answer. Dustin Mills was going to say Carpenter or Wan, but they've been mentioned a lot. I'll throw in Del Toro and Flanagan. Neither of them has made a bad movie yet. Christopher Bickle, Cronenberg. Rye Guy, Hitchcock. Aaron Fram, Cronenberg, easy. Brian Poland, Carpenter. Eric Waters, Brian Poland, the director. Um, Eric Waters, Carpenter, Martin Phillips, Kevin Williams, question mark. Uh, a writer, I think he only directed one movie. James Fag, uh, uh, Fag uh, Jr.? F-A-G-U-E. Fagu? I'm not sure how to say that name, sorry. Is that Carpenter or Romero or Cronenberg? Dan the Cameraman, gotta go with my man Andres Snaz. Dan, why do you do this to me? Why do you do this to me? You gotta have a good movie to start a streak, okay? Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Violent Shit 3 is good. Uh, Cody Lee Harden, Salva. Come on, Cody. Um, Shane Glass, Argento for me. Tom Horsball, Mario Bava was the only truly perfect horror director for me. He had no misses in the genre, so that's like 13 films. Uh, Brandon Helmuth, Mario Bava or David Cronenberg. Connor R. Petrie, Sam Raimi, Tom Brunner. All my favorite horror directors have a clunker or two. I have to go with either Cronenberg or Romero because there's always something to like even in their misses. Then here we go. Uh, Shazim Barbarian. Why come nobody mention Ulay Bull? Masterpiece after masterpiece. Um, I assume that's being facetious. Marco uh, Vitian, another uh, here. Um, Fred Durst. Uh, Jonathan Edward Smith, Larry Fessendent, Tim Walker, Cronenberg, but a gentle right after that. Daniel Carlson, Carpenter, Agent, uh, Assault on Precinct 13, Halloween, The Fog, Escape from New York, The Thing, Christine, Starman, Big Trouble in Chinatown, Prince of Darkness, They Live. Um, Mike Mitchell, Darren Lynn Bowsman, and then we have some comments that aren't really fitting into the questions or anything. So, uh, 81 Oak Ridge, Taurus Trap on the back of my 20th anniversary um, DVD, it says R-rated. I don't know what's up with that. I love the movie, but avoided the Blu-ray because, like you said, it was cut. Does the Blu-ray have a standalone release without the doll? I'm just not big on action figures. That it does. It's coming soon. Uh, Monster Movie Man 13. David, remember that last 10 minutes of Dressed to Kill is explained. No spoiler. At the last minute, and ends exactly like Carrie. You should do a De Palma deep dive and check out Sisters, Blow, Body Double Obsession, and even Raising Cain. Sisters is next week for the wine spot. Um, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a... I, I'm, thing i screwed up i i I can't i don't even remember the end exact i remember exactly what happened but i can't i know what you're alluding to but it's still insanely weird to have it go that crazy milo 169 glad i'm not the only one who liked day of lord i went on letterbox and was confused that there were so many negative reviews i was questioning my judgment for the moment that's so weird when it happens you're like i love that movie and you get on there and everybody hates it and you're like what um, then we have, but then again, many of the one-star reviews are probably like, worst movie I've ever seen. Like, really, apparently the people never seen a bad movie. Yeah, like, they're not watching, like, stuff like, you know, slime monsters who eat big piles of poop for money, number 12. Like, we are. Tristan Watson, Taurus Trap is a classic, scariest PG I've ever seen. It proves the point you don't need gore to make an effective, creepy horror film. The score was by my, one of my favorite Italian composers, Pino Donaggio. He also did The Howling, Don't Look Now, and loads of Palma, including Carrie and Dress to Kill, as you probably know. Just finished watching it, saw your correction later on. Very amusing Dress to Kill review. Cheers. The Mystagogue. Lots of people miss and Dress to Kill that the end of the killer's hand does not come out of the side, as it if the killer was standing behind Nancy Allen, but becomes from inside the medicine cabinet. Also, the asylum sequence real or part of the Nancy Allen's dream sequence. Isimo, um, Isimisio, 
uh, saw the day of the Lord a few weeks ago and was not impressed. Felt it was done before, but I'm also not a big fan of possession films. Could not get into Noriko's dinner table for the life of me. Watching that movie was like getting shot by cow tranquilizer. Tried so many times to get through the film without dozing off, and I'm a fan of Sono's other work. Metamorphosis was good, but not a top ten for me. Penance looks interesting. First, I thought it was a 2009 horror film, which was actually done really well. I applaud you for not getting worked over over damages on your movies. Most of the movies I get from Amazon arrive with case punctures or dents, or shrink wrap is coming off, and it pisses me off because you know they would not sell their media and condition in their brick and mortar stores question of the week is challenging i would say lynch kubrick have practically no misses in my opinion but i wouldn't categorize them as horror either directors either should have put that up or higher then we have some old comments to mystagog i'd like to say mr parker seems shy about asking people to like and subscribe even if i forget to do this sometime but if you take the time to watch his kick-ass often two-hour plus show try to remember to at least like hit the like button for him on the video it helps youtube to get his videos into more feeds and recommendations i only bring this up because i feel his channel the dude should have at least a hundred thousand subscribers by now if, if content material count for anything i don't know about that but i appreciate it very much uh the mystagogue i would like to see mario bava's shock on blu-ray i think that a very this is very underrated visually the music score daria nicolodi's performance it's all very good it still has one of the most incredible jump worthy scares i've ever seen in a movie done just through framing without an edit or a uh, effect or edit. If you've seen the movie, you know what scene I'm talking about. Also, I think it's the last Mario Bava film that ha hasn't tradition uh, transitioned to Blu-ray. It's I, I saw that movie when I was like 15, so I don't remember much. Though this isn't a horror movie and it has done a thoroughbred miniature work, I'm shocked no one has bothered to restore Lucio Fulci's Rome 2072 AD, The New Gladiators 1984. I love the movie, by the way. Um, the movie still has all the Fulci hallmarks, an innate sense of style, quirky production design, and some blunt gore. It's also very entertaining. I'm not sure why it's been so MIA when Conquest, a much more technically shoddy and confusing film, has gotten multiple releases through the years. Uh, New Gladiators on Amazon. And I watched New Gladiators on Amazon. It was very fun, but the print is terrible. I keep thinking how much thrilling it would be if it just could just be seen how it's supposed to. And Fulci has some built-in audience. Demonia, Murder Rock, and Enigma on Blu-ray. Before that, kind of a crime. I would agree. Those are those movies I like or enjoy, but New Gladiators is better. Magic Music Lover Tim. Hi, Dave. Love your show. First time commenting. I want to see Ratman released on Blu-ray. Also, you like hearing about people loving movies you don't like, so I wanted to let you know I love Split and also Eternal Evil. Good day, my friend. So this brings to the question of the week, which I thought would be fun. So uh, name a movie that I dislike that you like. Maybe you're mad about it. Maybe you want to get it off your chest. Maybe you want to call me an idiot and be like, Dave, why did you dislike Eternal Evil? Dave, how could you not like Split? Dave, how come you only gave Grave Robbers, not the uh, Mexican movie, uh, two two stars? You know what I mean? Like, just what is a movie that I didn't like that you like? And tell me why you like it. Let's do that. You know, and I'll read it. It'll be fun. It'll it'll be great. All right. So anyways, let's hop into the update and the drawing. I'm going to do the drawing probably first so for the next um, month's Patreon picks for December. So, yeah. All right. Let's do this drawing for the Patreon picks. The next four for December. Okay, so who do we got? Number one, we got Nick Mua with Witch Finder General, classic Vincent Price movie. I've not watched it in a long time. Be happy at any time to watch that one. What else do we got here? What's this one? Jeremy, 22 shots of uh, Moves and Horror wants me to do Manchester by the Sea. What else do we got here? Jonathan Wilhelm, Venom. 
uh, the 2005 movie. And last, but certainly not least, um, Keith Voigt Jr., The Platform, which is a 2020 movie. So those are the four I'll be covering for uh, December. And all the rest will go back for next month and add some more in. And if I have time, maybe I'll draw a couple more, but those are the four. Anyways, let's get into this update. Start with the 4Ks. We got Beetlejuice. 10 bucks for Beetlejuice on 4K. I love this movie. Um, it's one of my favorite movies. My, definitely my favorite Tim Burton movie. So in 4K for 10 bucks, definitely going to watch it because I will watch Beetlejuice again in my life. Um, don't want to wanna do the 4Ks first. Then we have A Quiet Place. Not seen this. A lot of people say it's great. I'm sure it's great. But for $7 on 4K, I didn't have the damn thing. Now I do. I had to grab it. If they hear you, they hunt you. Come on. Couldn't pass it up for the price. And then, of course, we have a couple Criterions because we have the Criterion sale. We have Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai by Jim Jarmusch starring Forrest Whitaker. This is a really good movie. I actually watched this in film class in, a, in um, college. Um, 99. So, yeah. This one also has a really solid cast, if I'm not mistaken. Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, who else is in there? I remember the mobsters are really fun. Yeah, Victor Argo and uh, Henry Silvis, so good stuff. And then we have Vampire, which I've never seen. Um, this deluxe bad boy was only 20 couldn't pass that up. Yeah, so great stuff. Heavy sucker. Then we got uh, Gretel and Hansel. Thought it was a good movie. Again, $7 on Blu-ray. Um, Oz Perkins movie, so I grabbed it. This bad boy, this Hammer Films Blu-ray box set, The Ultimate Collection. 20 films set. So some of these were already released. Um, a 12 of them were already released on double feature Blu-rays. I think the 8 uh, on here that weren't are their United States Blu-ray debuts. The rest, some of them had gotten released over in the UK. So I'll go through these briefly because we cover, I covered 12 of these already or maybe more. The Revenge of Frankenstein, The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb. Um, they're both on Blu-ray already, um, on one of those double packs. These are the damned had not been released on Blu-ray in the States, but I think overseas it was. This is a great movie with Oliver Reed. Very highly recommended. Two-Faced Dr. Jekyll had been released on Blu-ray in the States. The Old Dark House had not been the, um, William Castle remake of the 30s movie. Pretty solid, pretty fun. This one, the Gorgon had been released already as well in one of the double packs from Mill Creek. Cash on Demand had not. I had not seen that on Blu-ray in the States, and I have not seen that one. The Snorkel, another one that had not been released in the States, and I had not seen it. Maniac had been, I believe. Is this the one? Yeah. Um, and I had seen it, and it was pretty decent. Die, Die, My Darling, um, this one had been as well. Peter Vaughn and Donald Sutherland, really good movie. Reviewed that. Stop Me Before I Kill had not, and I had not seen it. Never Take Candy from a Stranger had been, and I had reviewed it and covered it. Interesting movie. Scream of Fear, great movie, had been released on Blu-ray. Then The Stranglers of Bombay had not been released on Blu-ray in the States. Um, the Terror of the Thongs had not been, or Tongs had not been as well. The Pirates of Blood River, I believe, might have been a, mil, um, uh, a Twilight Time, but I'm not 100% sure on that. But this is a pretty, um, a lot of these were released overseas as well. The Sword of Sherwood Forest had not been released on Blu-ray. Um, the Camp on Blood Island, I don't think was. It might have been a um, Twilight Time, but I doubt it. Yesterday's Enemy had not been. Uh, Creatures the World Forgot had not been released on Blu-ray either. So yeah, that's eight Blu-ray releases in the United States that were either out of print or hard to get for the first time um and then also had another 12 movies that if you didn't buy so that's 20 movies it was like yeah it, it was a good price for it couldn't pass it up and i didn't import any of those ones so i was very happy to get that um some of those they all had been
been released on DVD in the States. So if you're, you know, if you don't want to upgrade, you don't have to. Then we have Spree, which I really enjoyed. 2020 release. Thought it was really good and did a review of it. So check that out. Then we have a Scare Package. Um, also decent anthology, good price. It was one of the Target buy two, get ones. So not a bad price on all. Not a bad movie, really. Yummy was a zombie movie I, I loved until the very ending, and it really brought it down. Didn't love it. Willing to give it another shot, though, and the price was right. So, yeah, has some good gore effects, but the ending, man. Then Monstrum. Love this movie. Shutter original. Great stuff. Watch it. Um, one of my favorites of the year. Epic stuff, right? And then we have Lauren. I imported the Blu-ray because I was like, you know what? I didn't know it was so widely available and, not, and inexpensive. So I grabbed this Blu-ray. Uh, it has English and German and subtitles, English-friendly, not very expensive. Very cool gothic horror movie, period piece. Check it out for sure. And then we have Miss Leslie Stalls. This sounds interesting, 70s grindhouse movie. Uh, not heard anything about it, import. Um, definitely going to check that one out as well. But anyways, we're going to hop back to the video. Okay, guys, thank you very much for watching, and as always, have a good one.